Well, it was on the last day of school in 2001 that 13 year old honor student Nathan Brazil got himself into a little bit of trouble. Because it was the last day of school and he and his buddies were all excited, they made some water balloons the night before and then carried all of their water balloons to school and kind of snuck them into class. And then they had a water balloon fight in the main hall of the school. They thought it was great fun, but some of the administrators didn't think it was all that much fun. And so Nathan, as the ringleader, was disciplined by his uh, teacher and was sent home from school. Now, first of all, what kid would get mad that they're being disciplined by being sent home early on the last day of school? You think you go, yes, but that's not what happened. Even though Nathan had made a mistake, I mean, he'd been a little disobedient. It was certainly a minor act of disobedience and something that he could recover from relatively easily. But Nathan took a different approach. Nathan went home angry went to his house and got a 25 caliber handgun, went back to the school, stalked his teacher, and then shot his teacher in the face at point-blank range, killing him dead. Now, that was an act of disobedience. That was a choice that had much more severe consequences. You see, sometimes we make choices and we engage in disobedience that it's fairly easy to recover from. But other times we engage in acts of disobedience and we make choices that are much more difficult to recover from. Nathan, as a 13 year old honor student, was tried as an adult in adult court and was given a sentence of 28 years without parole, which he is serving today. 28 years without parole. Now, my guess is most of us have never made those kinds of choices, choices that really do mess up our lives for the the long haul, choices like murder and disobedience of that nature. But my guess is all of us have engaged in acts of disobedience and we've made choices that have messed up our lives in some way or another. In fact, it could be that you're here this morning and at some point in your life, maybe it was during your high school years, maybe it was during your college years and fraternity and sorority uh, days. Maybe it was as a young adult early in your married life. But whatever period of your life it may have been, you can remember choices and decisions that you made that made a mess out of your life. And in fact, maybe you engaged in some kind of sinful behavior that was So embarrassing, so sinful, so shameful to you that no one else in the world knows to this day the choice or the decision that you made. And it's been haunting you ever since. And I think sometimes when we engage in those kinds of acts of disobedience early in life or even in the middle of life, I think there are times that we can feel such shame and such guilt that we wonder to ourselves, could God ever forgive me of this? We've done something so heinous and so shameful, we wonder, does God's grace apply to even this extreme kind of sin? I've made such a mess out of my life. Could God ever give me a second chance? Could I ever get a fresh start for that choice I made that's been kind of plaguing me and haunting me all of my life? And the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. The reality is there's absolutely nothing that you could do in your life, no choice that you could make that God cannot forgive and restore and give you a fresh start in life. Because our God is a God of grace. 
He specializes in second chances, in fresh starts. Now, as we learned last week, God doesn't always just erase the consequences of our choices and disobedience. Sometimes, unfortunately, we will still have to live with some of the physical remnants of our acts of disobedience and sin. But that does not mean that God has not completely forgiven us and that his grace is not completely ours in restoring us spiritually into our intimate relationship with him. Sometimes God is even gracious so that we don't have to experience the consequences, the full consequences of those sinful choices. But I want us to be reminded this morning that God is a God of grace and that God delights in giving us fresh starts. But we've got to participate with him. You see, you know, it's a gift that God offers us, but we have got to receive it. We've got to take it. And in order for us to take it, we've got to come to that place where we deeply understand we need it. And that without God's grace, we're not going to get back on course. Without God showering his grace on us and us receiving it, we're not going to find kind of the fresh start that maybe we've been looking for. Well, this morning in the book of Jonah again, as we follow Jonah's story, I'd like you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at the last verse of chapter 1, and then we're going to look at the entire uh, chapter 2. But Jonah, as we've seen, is a guy who made some pretty bad choices, who engaged in some pretty deliberate disobedience. Not only did it impact his life, but we see that he actually ended up getting other people embroiled in the storm of discipline that God brought into his life, actually threatening the lives of innocent people. I mean, Jonah's disobedience was no small matter. It was life threatening to him and to the other people who got caught up in his disobedience as well. But I want us to see today that even Jonah finally discovers that God is a God of grace who gives fresh starts to people who finally recognize what they've done and finally kind of fall before God in repentance and saying, God, only you can rescue me now. And I want you to follow along as I read chapter seven, I mean, chapter one, verse 17 and then chapter two. Now, remember where we left Jonah off, we left him off being cast over the side of the ship at the height of the storm, just thrown overboard. And so now we pick up in verse 17, where it says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath, beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yes, I, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters crashed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. 
As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all the gods, all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, in these verses, I want us to see three ways that God extends his grace to us and helps us get a fresh start. Three ways that we can expect God to demonstrate his grace to us, even in the midst of our disobedience, even in the midst of our sin, as a way of helping us get back on course uh, with him. And the very first way that God demonstrates his grace to us, even in the midst of our disobedience and sin, is that God protects us. God protects us often from ourselves and our own choices. Look again here at verse 17. Now, Jonah has got to experience the consequences of his sin. He's thrown overboard at the height of this storm, but that's not where God leaves him. Look what happens. It says, now the Lord had arranged. God had kind of made a plan in advance for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I think it's very interesting here. That even though Jonah has to experience some of the consequences of his disobedience, God does not allow him to experience the full brunt of the consequences of his sin and disobedience. See, it's one thing to be thrown overboard into the sea, but it's an entirely different matter to fall to the bottom of the sea and fill up with water and drown. I mean, that's the ultimate consequence of his disobedience. But God came along and, and provided this, this fish to kind of protect Jonah from the full consequences of his sin. And you might say, what is so gracious about being swallowed by a whale? But when you consider the alternative, it's pretty gracious. And I think what God is doing here is he is protecting Jonah from his disobedience, giving him some time to, to change his mind, to maybe see the error of his ways and get back on course with God. And you notice that he was there in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. I mean, this was not just a quick rescue trip to shore. You know, God didn't just send the whale and got Jonah and go right back to shore. He was in the whale three days and three nights. And I think there's reason for that. But you see, I am amazed how God can protect us even in the midst of our sin from our own choices and disobedience. You see, there are many times, I think, when we make wrong choices and we engage in sinful behavior that can have pretty painful, embarrassing, kind of difficult circumstances. But even as we make those choices, God, in his incredible grace, will protect us from the full brunt of those for a period of time to give us the opportunity to come to our senses and to get back on course with him before it's too late. Now, you might say to yourself, well, how exactly does that happen? How does God protect us from our acts of disobedience and not allow us to experience the full consequences? Well, let's say, for example, that you've been guilty of gossiping. You have chosen to deliberately say hurtful, bad things about someone else that you know. Maybe it's even someone in the church. 
Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone at work. But whoever it is, you have very deliberately chosen to gossip about them, say mean, hurtful things about them, that if they heard and knew that you had said these things, it could actually destroy your relationship with them. It could cause you great embarrassment and all kinds of relational problems. But even though you've sinned and you have gossiped, that person hasn't found out yet. That person doesn't know the things that you've said. And you might think to yourself somehow I've gotten away with it. You know, I've gossiped before and never got caught in. I've kind of gossiped now and said things and it's never caught up to me. Well, don't be so dumb as to think that you've slid one by on God somehow or that you've got away with gossip because you haven't gotten away with anything. God, in his grace, has been protecting you from the full consequences of your sinful choices Hoping against hope that you will wake up and recognize what you've done before it's too late and someone finds out and then you have to face the storm of that broken relationship and the embarrassment and the pain that your gossip has caused. You see, God, just as with Jonah, can protect us for a period of time, hoping that we'll come to our senses and stop doing the sinful things that we're doing and turn and get back on course with him. You know, in a church this size, it's not uncommon that there might be someone here right now who's being unfaithful to a spouse. Who's engaged in an immoral, wrongful relationship with someone else. Maybe it's even some kind of emotional affair. And you haven't got caught and no one knows. And you think to yourself, maybe I've gotten away with it. Maybe I've kind of slid another one by on God. Well, that's not true. God is a gracious God and God is protecting you maybe for a period of time so that you can wake up to what you've done and confess that and get back on course with God before it all blows up in your face. And it always, always will. It could be that you're in financial difficulties and you're suffering some of the consequences of your sin, but you're still hanging on. And God is kind of protecting you, giving you an opportunity to recognize the, the choices and decisions that you've made financially that have been wrong and possibly even sinful. And giving you the opportunity to try to get help, confess what you've done, come clean about it, and then get on the right course. But sometimes we think, well, I can get a, I can get a second mortgage and I can do this. And we keep trying, pulling all the strings that we can possibly pull, thinking that we're somehow dealing with it. And we've escaped the full consequences of our our sin. But no, it could be that God is just graciously protecting you, giving you enough time to wake up and get back on course, just as he did with Jonah. Rather than allowing you to immediately sink to the bottom, God is a gracious God. He's a God of second chances and fresh starts. And he's hoping that we will take advantage of that protection he's providing and get back on the right course. You know, when our son Seth was a little guy, I don't know, two to three years old, he had this very unhealthy behavior in terms of how he responded to uh, the answer no or it's bedtime or something else that he didn't like. You have to eat it. Whatever it was that he didn't like, he was probably three years old, something like that, he would just immediately crumple to the ground like a rag doll on the floor, wherever we were, in a grocery store, at church, at home, wherever, he would just throw himself on the ground and start banging his head on the floor. And you think, me and Sue would go, is this kid okay? I mean, this is unnatural. I mean, 
he was hitting his head hard enough he could split his skull or give himself a concussion, you know, and it really frightened us. And so we'd immediately scoop him up and take him upstairs to his room and discipline him and put him on his bed. And we thought at least if he's going to bang his head, it's going to be on the bed. It's soft, you know. And we'd say, Seth, you cannot respond that way. And we'd make him stay on his bed until he realized what he'd done apologize to us, ask for forgiveness, and then he could come out of his room. But until he apologized, I mean, he could be in his room all day for all we cared, all week for all we cared. But we had to try to protect him from himself. The responses that he was engaging in were not healthy and were dangerous for him. And so we had to put him in a kind of this place now so he wouldn't hurt himself. Now, I'm happy to say that Seth no longer responds that way at 20 years old. Could you imagine a 21-year-old? <laughs> you know... I mean, not healthy. So mom and dad who love him come alongside and try to give him some time, you know, in his young life to start responding appropriately before he actually hurt himself. And that's actually what God does for us sometimes in his grace gives us opportunity to consider our ways to maybe recognize the wrong choices and decisions we've made and get back on course before we have to face the full consequences of our sin. But there's a second way that God extends his grace to us, and that, that is that sometimes God allows us graciously to get to that place until we finally recognize that it's God alone who can deliver us. Gives us the opportunity to recognize that it's only God that is going to be able to uh, fix the mess that we've made of our lives and only he can deliver us from our problems. And I want you to look at verses uh, four through nine in chapter two, because this is Jonah's prayer. When he's finally in the belly of this whale, Jonah begins to pray and his prayer continues in verse four. He says, then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. I think what Jonah is painting is a picture of rock bottom. I don't think Jonah could have gotten, I don't think life for Jonah could have gotten any worse. He knew that Unless something changed, his life was over. And then he says, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. It's very interesting here that if you remember the previous section and the story of Jonah, this is the first time that Jonah prays during this entire storm and this entire trip. Remember, he's at the height of the storm, asleep in the in the bottom of the boat and the pagans are all praying to God. But Jonah isn't. Then they finally roused him out and they have to tell him, please start praying for our lives. And Jonah doesn't even pray then. Now, when he's finally hit rock bottom, when there's nowhere else he can go, no more strings he can pull, 
No more resources of his own. Finally, he recognizes that life is just about to slip away from him. And then he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, you alone can deliver me now. I finally hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to run, nowhere else to go. And now I'm turning to you, God. And in God's grace, he's willing to receive even that rock bottom kind of turn of repentance and choosing to get back on course with God. You see, sometimes I think God has got to allow us to get to the place where we mess our lives up so bad because we haven't responded uh, by through his protection that ultimately he loves us so much. He will let us get to that rock bottom place where we finally realize that God and God alone can deliver us from this mess that we've made of our lives. And it's then that we have a very simple choice. Either we choose to go with God and say, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize what I've done and I repent and want to turn and get back on course with you. Or we just get angry at God and go the other direction. That's certainly a possibility. See, I know in my life there have been many times where God has had to allow me to let, rock bo- let me hit rock bottom before I finally realized that I couldn't, you know, kind of work my way out of the mess by myself and under my own steam with my own resources. No more strings I could pull. Finally got to the place where I had to finally say, okay, God, you've got me now. Okay, my life's about ready to slip away and God, only you can deliver me now. Ever been to that place? Ever kind of hit that place where you recognize that you can't run anymore, you can't, you know, pull any more of your own strings? See, I think sometimes we get into those places like that financial place where rather than responding to God early on, we keep trying to fix the mess we've made through our disobedience of our own way and try to make it on our own resources until finally we can't any longer. And we get to that place where we just have to cry out to God and say, God, if you don't save us, if you don't work through this, it's over for us. I think the same thing can happen relationally in our lives where we finally hit bottom. And maybe then we're willing to cry out to God who cares about the embarrassment, who cares about the shame or the humiliation. We're so desperate that we cry out to God and say, God, rescue me now. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to get back on track with you. I remember when I was in high school. Almost all of my high school years, I was a pathological liar and storyteller. I think one of the reasons was because I had incredibly low self-esteem and and felt very insecure. All the buddies I ran around with were from wealthy homes who had all these new clothes. They drove Mustangs and, and all these things. They had ski chalets at Schweitzer Ski Basin. And my dad was a blue collar worker. And here I was mingling with all them. And I just felt in incredibly insecure. So I felt like in order for them to like me, I had to kind of, you know, create a more exciting Sam. And so I began just telling all kinds of little stories. And believe me, uh, they were very entertaining stories. Um, I had quite the life, you know. Um, I'm not going to, you know, delight you with any of them now. But suffice it to say, I had a very exciting, uh, unbelievable life uh, during high school. And 
All through high school, I did this, told stories, lied, fudged, exaggerated, stretched the truth to make my life a little more exciting and all these things. And I never got caught. And I thought, hey, you know, they must believe me. And I'm kind of creating this persona and everyone just thinks that these things are true. Until one day, as a freshman in college, all of us high school buddies went to the same college and kind of were roommates. Uh, One of my friends, who has been a friend since first grade and is still uh, a great friend, uh, asked me, hey, how did you do on that history test that we just took? And I said, actually, it was kind of towards the end of the the quarter. How did you, what was your final grade and what did you do on that final? I said, I got an A. Good job, you know, because all of us were in there competing with one another and they'd all gotten A's and so, of course, I got an A. A couple days later, my friend, who was my roommate, asked me if he could borrow something from me. And so he started digging through my drawers in my desk. And lo and behold, he came across my report card and looked at Dr. Henry's math, I mean, uh, history class and saw that I got a B, not an A. And I remember Gary coming to me after dinner saying, Sam, what did you get on that history test again or that class? An A. He said, Sam, no, you didn't. He said, I want you to go downstairs to Scott Sears' room, who's another high school friend. And when I went down to Scott Sears' room, all of my friends were gathered in that dorm room to confront me on my years of lying. And one by one, they told me with tears in their eyes, Sam, we know that you've been lying to us for years and we don't know why. And this was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And we want to know why you've been lying to us all this time. And finally, I had kind of after years of thinking I was getting away with something had hit rock bottom. I was in this dorm room kind of like it was my own belly of the whale in a sense. Know where I could go, know where I could run, no more lies that I could tell. The cat was out of the bag. What was I going to do? And it was then that I finally had to confess and apologize. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. But God, in his grace, kind of took me to that place where finally, at a young age, I came to grips with this and started getting back on the right course. I can't imagine if God hadn't let me hit bottom at that age and that had gone on and on and on into adulthood. How destructive would that have been? You see, God is gracious. Sometimes he protects us for a period of time, even in the midst of our disobedience, hoping that we'll recognize that we've been sinning or making wrong choices and get back on course. But if we don't, sometimes he will graciously allow us to hit rock bottom before a real bad explosion comes sometime down the road. You see, there are some times we have to get to that place where we recognize only God can deliver us now. And it's interesting, all of these friends of mine, we went to Young Life together and campaigners Bible study. I mean, you know, but I'd kind of just been playing the game. And it was then that they really began to confront me and call me and say, Sam, you need to get back on course with God. What's going on here? And really started holding me accountable. And all my friends said, anytime we even think you're thinking about telling a lie, we're going to call you on it publicly, wherever it is. And as a result of that, that I was able to get back on course and and overcome what had become just a, a common occurrence of just fudging the truth, telling lies, whatever it was. But God in his grace gave me the opportunity to to hit bottom and recognize that I had to get back on course with him. But there's a third. There's a third way that God demonstrates his grace to us. 
And that is that God gives us a fresh start. God gives us a fresh start. Look again here at verse 10. When Jonah finally hits rock bottom, finally says, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. In verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on to the beach. Now, it's interesting here because this phrase, the beach, most scholars and commentators would tell us is a reference to Joppa, the beach at Joppa. You, you, you remember uh, where Joppa was? That's where Jonah started his journey of disobedience. Joppa is the place that he bought the ticket to get on the boat to Tarshish. And God, when he finally comes clean, God takes him right back to the beginning of the disobedience. And it's as if God is saying, "Okay, Jonah, let's try this again. Okay, let's get a fresh start and see how it goes this time. God in his grace takes him right back and gives him a fresh start. And it's interesting that he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Some people think that's how long it took the whale to get from where Jonah had sailed in disobedience all the way back to Joppa, the, the starting point of his disobedience. Because he'd run so far from God that that's how long it took. And that entire time Jonah was wrestling with God and and coming to grips with his sin and his disobedience. And finally, when he fesses up, God says, how about a fresh start right here in Joppa, where all the disobedience began? See, God is a God of such amazing grace that no matter how far we run, no matter how far we fall from him, if we'll finally come to that place that we recognize our sinfulness, recognize our disobedience and choose to repent and get back on course with him, he will give us a fresh start. That doesn't mean all the consequences are just wiped away and washed away. But God will give us a new beginning. He did it for King David. He did it for the Apostle Paul and Peter, I mean, over and over and over, we see that God is a God who specializes in giving us fresh starts. Let me just share three action steps this morning as we close. Three ways that maybe you could take what you've heard this morning, kind of put it to work in your life. And the first thing I'd suggest is maybe take some time this week and just ask yourself if you're living with guilt or shame for some kind of past decision that you made, some kind of act of obedience. Still, maybe it's something no one else in the world knows about, but you've kind of been running from it all of your life. You've never really come to that place where you just confessed it to God and just really dealt with it and got the help that you needed or whatever. Maybe now's the time. Maybe God wants you to, to live guilt-free and shame-free and not carry that burden around. Maybe he wants to give you a fresh start. But maybe you have to take that first step to finally stop running and just go to God and say, God, you alone can deliver me now and just find that place of new beginning, guilt free, shame free. Allow God to bring you back from the bottom of that emotional pit or wherever it is that you've been suffering. But secondly, another action step for some of us might be maybe you're kind of in the midst of still trying to pull the strings and fix the mess that you've made under your own steam and with your own resources. Maybe God's been kind of protecting you from the full brunt of the consequences of your choices. And maybe you need to finally take advantage of that before the explosion comes. 
and really ask God to deliver you and resign your mess to his grace and he will give you a fresh start. Again, maybe you're currently disobeying God and you think you're getting away with something. Whatever it might be in your life, but you think because you haven't got caught or no one's found out, whatever it is, that somehow you've kind of slid one by on God and slid one by on all the people that know you. I'd really encourage you to reconsider this week and recognize that maybe God is just buying you some time. Maybe he's just protecting you right now and giving you the opportunity to make the right choice again before it's too late. But wherever you are in your life, recognize that God is a God of such amazing grace. He just delights in giving us fresh starts in life. But we have got to be the ones that take that gift and apply that gift in that sense so that he can then give us the fresh start that we're looking for. Let's pray and ask that God would do that in our lives. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace, that there is no place that we can outrun your grace. Father, there's no way we can fall so far that your grace can't reach us. Father, I pray this morning that we would recognize that sometimes we do bad and disobedient, sinful things and don't really experience the full consequences of those choices. But, Father, that's merely, again, because of your grace protecting us. Father, sometimes you allow us to hit that rock bottom place. And that, again, is an act of your grace, giving us the chance to finally come clean with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who not only experience fresh starts in our own lives, but, Father, are gracious with other people and help them find the fresh start that they're looking for. Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you would continually, by your Spirit, prompt us to stay on course with you and when we get off course, to take the steps necessary to get back on course with you. And we'll thank you for the things that you do in our life as a result of your word. In Christ's name, amen.